Hello and welcome to the Chorus in the Chaos. I am Jack and I am joined as always by Grayson, Don't Tread on Me Gilbert, and Blake, I'm Prepared to Monologue, Labory. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tonight we are going to be talking, or today, depending on when you're listening to it, we are going to be talking about the church and the state and that relationship, what that means, you know, what is a government? Where does the government's authority come from, and so on and so forth, and kind Hope of maybe you a fun all are topic. Ready to go on an FBI watch list. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and on that point, when should we disobey the government? Because that's that's certainly important here and part of it. But before we jump into that, a couple couple of housekeeping items I wanted to touch on as we continue to move through this. So if I remember, if I'm counting correctly, this is the sixth episode. And uh, if you haven't picked up already, I don't know that we've addressed it formally, but this first season, if you want to call it that, is a series of podcast episodes just themed around the church. Uh, we've talked about the church, what it is, what it does. We talked kind of a kind of a side, maybe a sidebar podcast, if you want to look at it that way, about the church and COVID. We talked about the church and the family a lot in the past couple episodes, and now we're looking at the relationship between the church and the state. And our goal here is to continue to put podcast out for season one, themed on the church up until like 10 or 11. We've got a, a few mapped out here episodes, and we're going to plan to do that bi-weekly. So if you haven't picked up that already, that's kind of the, the, uh, cadence by which we'll do it. And then, you know, then we'll, once we wrap up that, we'll begin thinking about, uh, season two, if you want to think of it in terms of seasons, which will have a different theme. Um, so. Thank you for listening. If you've if you've caught up with us and stayed with us so far, we really do appreciate it. Please, this matters a lot in terms of podcasts, which I'm learning. Um, if if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please leave us a review, like a you know a five star review. That's how people find it. The higher the rated it, higher rated it is on Apple Podcasts and all those different things are how people find it. So, if if you've enjoyed this, please take a moment and just click that. And to be clear, we're only looking for five star reviews. Yes, if you've <laughs> if if you if you have four star below, just pretend you don't listen. Just bump right? it up to five. Just bump, yeah, bump it up to five. Be generous. Yeah, we're rounding up here. <laughs> it's a scale of five or five. That's the that's the only yeah. scale is five. A scale of five to five. <laughs> um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on, kind of on housekeeping items, is just wanted to, to shout out and give a, a thank you to our buddy. To our buddy Nick Isles, he's put together the music for the the kind of the intro music and the outro music for the podcast. And um, if you haven't seen it, his music, he's a good friend of ours, good buddy. His uh, music is, he has his, all of his own stuff. He plays all the instruments. He's a pretty talented guy. And he's got a, we have his uh, music linked in the liner notes of the podcast. So uh, I think that's all I had jotted down. Did I miss anything? I don't believe so. Okay. All right. So. The church and the state. Or is it the state and the church? What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I thought it'd be like a whimsical segue, but it, it that bombed pretty bad. <laughs> um, maybe I'll edit that out. Um, so let's, let's kick it off. So, you know, we've got an outline here of a number of different things, kind of five bullet points. And... Um, Blake, I'm going to just turn it over to you because I think Blake has been jazzed about this episode for weeks. <laughs> I just earlier today, I think you were listing off the number of books that you read on this subject, and like just this week, you've read like four books or something on, yeah. on the church and the state. Yeah, so. yeah. In the last uh, in the last week, uh, I read uh, Slaying Leviathan, 
Caesar and the Church, uh, Vindicae Contra, Tyrannos, uh, Les Rex, and uh, I've been sleeping with a picture of Jeff Durbin under my pillow. So, <laughs> so I'm all prepared. You're ready to go. All right. Yeah. Well, why don't you kick it off? Why don't you give us, I guess, before we can talk about the church and the state, this idea of the relationship of church and the government, yeah. why don't you take a moment, define the government for us, for our listeners Maybe seems somewhat obvious, but as we go through the discussion, I think this idea of state or government goes beyond, you know, what's happening at the White House. So what, why don't you take a moment and define that and kind of give us a baseline? Yeah. So a couple things. Uh, the government would be the governing body of your nation or your state or your community. And that looks different uh, depending on the place that you are and the time that you are living. Uh, so as we're looking at all of these things, uh, we have to realize that even when we're talking about obedience to the state and things like that, it, it does look different depending on your time and your place. Uh, government is a legal force uh, to compel citizens to do certain things and not to do other things. That's a quote from uh, R.C. Sproul. Rip, he's still blessing us today, isn't he? Hmm. Yeah. He is. Um, he is. The, <clears throat> the role and the purpose of the government uh, is where, if you ask that like in a crowded room, you're going to get 50 different answers, uh, even with Christians. And I think the last couple of years has really shown that to us, uh, the difference of opinion when it comes to what is the, what's the role of the government? What are they supposed to be doing? What are they not supposed to be doing? In basic uh, reduction, I guess you could say, is that uh, this, the the purpose of the government is to protect and uphold the sanctity of life uh, and private property, though some people would bucket that, probably, um, especially if you've read a lot of Rutherford. Um, also, along with that, uh, he does this, uh, the state does this by the sword. Uh, they yield uh, the sword as the legal force, uh, so promoting good, punishing crime, uh, when things are operating the way they're supposed to in a government, uh, that is the role that God has them in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good summary. Yeah, this this whole relationship of church and state, we, we talked on a little bit in our COVID episode, but, you know, I think it's something that, that Christians, or let's just say evangelicals in, in America, haven't paid a lot of attention to, mm-hmm. to be completely honest, in the past number of years, but this the way COVID impacted restrictions and freedoms and different things, uh, it forced a lot of people to really think, think pretty hard and, uh, and maybe rethink their stances on some of this, you know, what is the government and what does it do? Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, we talked a lot, quite a bit about that on the, the COVID episode a few, a few weeks ago, but, um, it did for me. I'll just say that. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't because I think I mentioned this in the episode too. The topics always kind of fascinated me. Right. And if I, if I kind of just step back and think about over the course of history, the relationship of what that looks like, it really, like you mentioned, it, look, it has different forms, right? I mean, we've seen all different types of governments from democracies to, uh, totalitarian type regimes, right. you know, anything and everything in between. Well, even depending on where you live, like in this day and age, I mean, with your greater and lesser magistrates, um, you know, your governor is acting differently than my governor, and maybe your sheriff acts differently than my sheriff. Uh, and so you've got this whole uh, kind of chain 
within government also that is very yeah. distinct depending on the place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's kind of moving. I think, you know, kind of taken to the next, to the next point here. Cause I think we get that, even though there might be some, some questions, but, um, from some people. But the main thing is we think about the relationship then, cause we can talk about what government is for a while, but the, but I think gen- people generally have an idea. Uh, maybe the first point that, that may be new to some people, if you've not thought a lot about it, at least if you're not coming from a Christian background, is, is this question. This really is kind of the, a linchpin in the discussion of church and state, but it's that question and that discussion around where does the government's authority come from? Yeah, I mean, well, ultimately it comes from God himself. Um, no matter how you stretch it, whether it's going to be a president you like or a president you dislike or a governor you like or a governor you dislike, ultimately the the scriptures are pretty darn clear in just saying that they all come from God. Um, I mean, you look at Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight: for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Um, you also have back in Romans 9, 17, but then also back in the book of Genesis, where he's talking to the Pharaoh. Uh, in Romans 9, Paul says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. When we start to get into what the actual... Um, you know, jurisdiction of the government is, if you will. I mean, the the go-to passage for everybody is Romans 13, right? I mean, you can think of a couple other ones. Blake, remind me, is it Second Peter or First Peter? The other one says Second Peter. Yeah, okay, I think it's, yeah, Second. Yeah, go go ahead, go ahead. I, I, was just I, I think say it's it. it's important to. I say go ahead, then I interrupt you again. Cool. <laughs> no, no, so here's uh, Grayson's getting a drink of water right now. This is my opportunity. No, and I think it's also important to remember that when we're talking about the authority of the government that comes from God is that at the baseline, God uh, sets up, he establishes kings and he tears down kings. Uh, And that includes what we saw. And I think it's really important to pause on that with Pharaoh, uh, that God raises up Pharaoh knowing Pharaoh is going to harden his heart, be wicked and everything else. But then God still has his purposes for Pharaoh. And so when we're talking about um, God raising up kings and bringing them down, he has purpose in everything, of course, that uh, that he does. So what we're not saying is that we are totally behind uh, and support in, uh, support in the way that uh, we give approval to everything that every king does, uh, because that's simply, I mean, that's simply not the case. And again, God raises them up. God tears them down. We see that with Pharaoh. We see that with all the kings in the Old Testament, New Testament, and you know we continue that that, that trend continues on uh, today. Yeah, what we're highlighting is just the reality that God is ultimately sovereign, right? I mean, in every single instance, you can look through the span of all of time and say that no matter what, whether you like it or not, God has got His person on the throne, uh, whom He desires to reign in that particular geographical location and that particular time and everything right was that uh, what was that calvin quote was that calvin quote uh when god wants to punish a nation he gives them wicked leaders or something yep. something to that effect yeah <laughs> so you're hang on so you guys are telling me that joe biden who is our current president was in place there by god oh yeah and and the 2000 mules when uh <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I've got a lot of opinions on that, but we're gonna we're gonna stop there. Um, That'll be bonus footage. <laughs> that will be bonus footage. That's when you're gonna be like, these guys are crazy. Y'all ready for that FBI watch list? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking though with Trump when, when it was like hashtag not my president. I think I, I used it once for a blog post that I wrote, and then uh, I, I actually regretted it because the whole idea behind not my president I think is stupid. I mean. Whether you have a president that gets there by legitimate or illegitimate means, however you want to look at it, um, ultimately he's your president whether you like it or not. I would buck against the illegitimate. Within that scope, constitutionally he might not be in that sense, but um, when you have a wicked ruler that sees his authority and is acting as a wicked ruler, you might have every legal recourse and yeah, justifiable right. recourse to rebel. Oh, yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. Um, that doesn't change God's sovereignty. Yeah, right, state. right. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, Jack, I think you put this scripture down. Um, what is it? Uh, Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. I mean, that not only is that aspect of you know, placing the king there to begin with, but, I mean, even the very wickedness that a king might do, um, is ultimately still beholden by the Lord. I mean, he's going to be the one that controls whether or not he's going to go off in left field or, or actually be a servant of righteousness, too. So we might offend a lot of people with that. I mean, that's just the reality of God's sovereignty in the midst of all of it, is that he's still on the throne. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of taking a sideways bent towards Calvinistic now. <laughs> I've been preaching through the Psalms. And uh, the past several ones that I've preached on have been just all about the pure sovereignty and kingship of God. And so I'm naturally just bent at that right now. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's even implied, like we think about the name of Jesus in Scripture, the King of King and Lord, King of King and Lord of Lords, right? You see, you see the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Like th there is nothing in Scripture that suggests Jesus is a lesser entity than any government on earth and everything in scripture suggests he he he's in charge even even when he's you know before it being judged in the court system like it's pointed out that you have no authority except that which has been given to you right like jesus is king over all and there's there's no king there's no lord there's no city council there is no state entity government entity whatever you want to call it authority entity that is outside the realm and the sovereignty of God's kingdom. Every everyone who is in any type of position of power from from the president to the pastor to uh Putin to to all these people were there because God for some in some way that we may never in this life understand, they served a purpose in God's sovereign plan. And some of those are hard like really hard, like really, really hard. And I won't make excuses for that. They're really hard. But, but scripture's very clear on that. We also need to be, yeah, we also need to be clear that those wicked men uh, act on their own volition, on their own wickedness. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 D j just God is not responsible for their sin. They are responsible for their sin. But, but that, but that also doesn't mean that, you know, God didn't place them in power. He put them in power, and they they did yeah, terrible think, things with it. I think it. it was Sproul again who 
kind of described God's sovereignty and stuff like that in this way with the reality of evil, right? So mankind is sown in sin. That's just his creaturely disposition. And so within that realm of sin, he freely operates and he joyously operates and gleefully chooses to just go after perversion and wickedness and everything else. Um, yeah. Yeah. You bring up a great point, Grayson, that that's maybe kind of a key thing to, to point out. I don't even know if I put this in the outline, but it's worth saying that every government entity, uh, every state entity, regardless of what it is, is going to be flawed and corrupt in some sense because it is run and managed by, by yep. fallen people. Yep. Mm-hmm. By sinners. Yeah. Every, every entity, whatever it is, there is going to be some level of corruption because we're, we're all incredibly sinful people. Yep. And the further you move away from God, historically, the further the governments move away from God, they start assuming the role of God for their, for the people uh-huh. that they have jurisdiction over. Uh, and so they become the divine, they become the judge, they become uh, crossing into these areas that they do not have uh, authority to cross over into. Yeah. Then we start to get into what is the division of the church and the government in Scripture? Right. So we touched on just a few passages a few minutes ago regarding just the sovereignty of God within establishing kings and all of these kingdoms belong to the Lord. Uh, We look at Romans 13. I'm just going to read that one real quick just because that's a very foundational passage for this topic. And Romans 13, Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So Romans 13 right here, I mean, we see that one of the first things that the sword or the government is actually given is the sword. So by sword, what we mean simply is that they have the power to kill you. They have the power to take your life. Um, That's a a thing I think especially people don't think through a ton when it comes to like the death penalty and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But the reality is one of the major functions of what the civil government is supposed to do is literally be a terror to evildoers. Um, I got in a conversation with one of the guys on our page where he was um, anti-death penalty, anti-any of this kind of stuff. No physical force the government should wield. And so I just asked him, you know, what do you... What do you think the sword means by Romans 13? Is it a foam pool noodle? Yeah, like, like one of those you... foam swords. Yeah, what are you kids, what are you getting yeah. at here, buddy? It's... <laughs> I mean, he's an agent who carries out God's wrath on an evildoer. He's literally an avenger. Um, so they're in that unique position where they, above all other people, are given the authority to be able to take life. Now, in America, we have this beautiful thing called the constitution that grants everyday citizens that right as well under the second amendment Uh, and that's unique to many other different cultures but that is something that under the guise of the constitution we all have that legal right to be able to do it in certain scenarios we're not the same as the magistrate as uh say a cop would be able to blake you look like you want to chime in (laughs) (laughs) i could 
he's blushing a little bit right now. He's like, ooh. He just got a very <laughs> huge smile. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things, and I don't, I don't know if this is. Uh, I'm trying to look to see if we're going to cover this. I don't think we are. Okay, Romans 13. Okay, over this last two years, has been used, uh, used and misused, and applied and misapplied so much. And I don't even know because we didn't we didn't talk about this beforehand uh, necessarily. Like we didn't sit down and say like do all do all of us have the same you know interpretation of every like everything on this? And this is one of the things I love about these two brothers is that we have different we come from different theological persuasions and we have different uh, things on different matters and yet still united under Christ. Anyway, Romans thirteen, I would say, is not a blank check to whatever the government says we're supposed to obey it, okay? Uh, I would say that Romans 13 is uh, prescriptive, not descriptive, okay? Uh, That this is what the government is supposed to be. Paul is not describing the Roman government in Romans 13. Right, you're saying it's like an idealized Yeah, I mean, it it says this is what the government is supposed to do, and then this is supposed to be your response to the government that is doing what they are supposed to be doing. I I think we have, as, as, as American Christians, we have gotten off into la-la land that we are always, as the church, that it is our responsibility to be pleasing to the government. And that simply is not true. From the beginning of the church, uh, the church has been viewed as an enemy of the government, at least in its place, in its context. Uh, You know, when the apostle uh, Peter is preaching in Acts, and the Jews go and, you know, tattletale and say, you know, hey, uh, these guys are not a friend of Caesar. Uh, They're saying that Caesar is not, you know, Lord. And I mean, you think about all the persecution that took place because you have an ungodly government uh, who removed from biblical uh, Christianity or a biblical standard sets itself up as God, and Caesar is the perfect example of that. Uh, that Caesar, you know, that the Caesar uh, was considered in Rome to be divine. Uh, that directly comes into conflict with the church who says Caesar is not divine. Christ is divine, and Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, so at the very beginning of Christianity, you have uh, treasonous things being preached. Uh, And I wonder if those same kinds of things were taking place today, how many professing Christians would say, well, we're just, you know, we're just supposed to, you know, Romans 13, and it's not, I wonder if we'd be willing to lose our lives like the early Christians did. Uh, for something as simple as burning a little incense and saying Caesar is Lord. Oh, I think many people would not be willing to lose their lives. I mean, the amount of people that cowtailed to everything over the past two years was amazing, in my yeah. opinion. Well, um, I'm not trying to trivialize it either. I mean, I mean, I know, no, I know not... it's comfortable. I mean, it's comfortable because we're sitting here in our own, you know, living rooms and offices and talking about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm not trying to put a like, oh, it's such a simple decision to make because I think even if I was faced with that, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, I'd pr- I'd pray I pray for the grace to be able to just you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like we don't even need to think about it. We're not gonna we're not gonna you know bow, and we're not going to you know worship the the image and all of this stuff. Uh, but I mean, there's Christians early on and even today who you know will kill your wife, will kill your children. You know, we'll kill your family members if you don't, you know, reject Christ and, and things like that. So it's not that it's it's not that it's a simple thing, but I think that a lot of Americans have so readily defaulted to that we just need to listen to the government and it's our responsibility to be pleasing to the government. And I would say that that's especially untrue in the United States in the form of government that we have. Uh, that the government is supposed to be representative of the people and is doing what is right and what is, you know, bearing the sword rightly. Uh, And I think that there are, well, I don't think, I know, I know uh, there are times when it is right to stand against uh, tyrants and things like that. But I'm skipping to the end. I'm skipping to the end point. I don't want to do that yet. Uh, but yeah. what was the other thing? What was the other thing that made me blush? Uh, what was that? Oh yeah, the right. Yeah, the Second Amendment. We'll save that one toward the end too because I've got a spicy hot take for you. All right. My my whole point with bringing that up in in light of Romans 13 is kind of uh, similar to what you're going with, Blake. It's um. Many people within the church have for so long embraced the idea that no matter what, you are to submit to the government. So they're looking at it in the sense that if the government tells you X, Y, and Z, you go and do it. Uh, That's what submission to Caesar looks like. When you look at it, it, I mean, again, it simply breaks down in reality when you look at the practice of the early church. Because the government always has our good in mind, Grayson. No, the government always has our good in mind, right? I mean, I think that I think that for many years has been the like the American default. The government's not going to do anything to persecute us, surely. I think on, uh, for a long time, the American government has been on the side of Christianity mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a very broad, vague, general sense. Right? Yeah, a moralistic we've had sense, that, I would say. We've had that moralistic, yeah. um, cultural Christianity that has pervaded the church for decades at this point, and the government was right alongside there with it. Um, you know, that's where you have your, your rah-rah fight for the Ten Commandments in the government square, um, and yet they're having a secular humanistic model pushed throughout all of the schools. Um, so there's, there was that disconnect all the while. Um, with Romans 13, though, my, my point in, in that is you might have a very unjust government in the sense that they're literally doing almost everything in terms of perverting God's word, and yet they can still act in an incredibly just way um, by bearing the sword down on an evildoer when that time comes. Now... How many of these guys will do it? I don't. I don't know. I mean, you have now pushed for rehabilitation and all sorts of different things that are, I think, on biblical ideas. Um, but let's say you have a twisted government like Rome was when Paul wrote that. I mean, they're still executing criminals right and left. Um, some of those executions were legitimate, righteous killings in that sense. Um, others, of course, like the crucifixion of our Lord, was not. Um, but. In that, I think a government can still function properly. Um, you know, Paul is speaking to an ideal because he's giving the command, if you will. But that government can still function properly, even though they might be functioning improperly in many other ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it does to me. 
does to me, yeah. Yeah, and in, in Grayson, you're you're kind of making me think, you know, if we go back to that second point we had, that the authority of government comes from God, I think as Christians it's important to remember, important to remember that when we are under the banner of Christ, when we have made a profession that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we commit our life to him, we become citizens of heaven, first and foremost, right? God's authority comes first. All governments are are under underneath him, and we are citizens of that kingdom, first and foremost, right? And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we that we ignore and pretend like Romans thirteen isn't there. But like as Blake pointed out, it's an idealized setting, and if and if there's conflict, if there's discord, and what we would seem as unjust as understanding that foundation that God is supreme, right? Knowing that that is the case, our loyalty is there first. And if there's conflict between that loyalty and what the government is bringing up, and that's, and I'm not just saying sinful things, because I think that's, that's a mistake people make is to think, well, if the government's not asking me to sin, then I should just do it. Yeah. There's a distinction, which we'll get to in a little bit, but, um, but if there's conflict, the point being, if there's conflict between this earthly regime in our heavenly regime, we will we sh- we must and should always side on the side of Christ. And um, so so let, let's let's let me touch a little bit further, and I'll kind of move through this to some points we had here because I think it's important to make. And maybe we could talk about this if we have differing views here. But what what is so if we understand maybe we have that uh, we've defined in hierarchy right of government, but if we think about the church and the state, what is the right relationship? And I would say that the as as we've talked about the government's relationship is the legal force it is the sword it is the it is a arm of judgment to as we defined kind of earlier to protect and uphold sanctity of life private property to defend people and god uses it you know as as he sees fit and a distinction here then is well the role of the church that is not the role of the church the role of the church her her focus is to uh is a, is a spiritual ministry. So I've heard it referred to, I think Sproul uh, talked about it this way. I've read some stuff by him, but he, he referred to it. And it's a pretty well-known, I think, symbolism here of the sword and the keys, right? The government has the sword and the church has been given the keys, which is the gospel. And there are two different things. And where, where I think people can get confused and there were, this is a huge debate throughout history is, is it the church's role to ever be the sword? I would say no, right? And I think you guys would agree with me, but um, maybe not. And, and Blake, you had asked me uh, earlier, uh, maybe offline, if, if I'm a two kingdoms guy. And I would say no. I think the way I understand, the way I understand things to, to play out or my pers- theological persuasion here is that there is bifurcation between the sword, uh, the church and the state here. They have different roles. But upon the coming kingdom of Christ, all things run into him. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is then, the, we read about the judgment, the great white throne judgment, Christ coming on a, on a white horse, bringing, you know, he is, at that point, all things run into him, and we have a perfect, if you want to call it theocracy, maybe. Oh, I don't know I if so. that's the right term, but the kingdom of God. Where, yeah, where, where Christ is supreme and fulfills all offices. And I'm post-mill, so... <laughs> We're working our way towards that. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> if you mean the uh, the literal thousand year reign of Christ on the throne of David, then 
but I'm there with you, buddy. Uh, yeah, I can I can jive with that. All right, let's go. Um, one 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 example I jotted down here. If people are like, well, where is this in scripture? Well, we've we've cited the Romans 13 verse. We've uh, I've talked about Matthew 16 when the keys are given to to Peter, which is not Roman mm-hmm. interpretation. Maybe that's yeah. a whole other episode. But this idea of the gospel being transferred, the, the the door opening to heaven is done through the gospel. It's the salvation is the gospel is the power of power of salvation of the Lord. Right, that is the keys. The spiritual realm has been given to the apostles. And if we think there's an example that that may may be helpful to bring clarification, if this is new to some people, if you look back in the Old Testament, there was a king named Uzziah, and um, there's a real wonderful text in Isaiah six when Uzziah dies, and you see Isaiah sees the. Did I say that wrong? Maybe I got my names confused. Maybe mm-hmm. I didn't. Uzziah. Did I, I think I swapped. I think I swapped. Uh, maybe I didn't. I thought I swapped Isaiah no, 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 and Uzziah. No. Um, I did. Okay. Well, Uzziah dies and Isaiah then has this vision of the Lord. It's a wonderful throne room experience. One of the coolest, one of my favorite uh, texts in all the Bible. But Uzziah was a king of Israel and, a, and widely considered a good king for most of his life. And as time went on, and you can read about this in Second Chronicles, but as time went on, he began to... to 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 continue being as a king, he began to insert himself into the priesthood, which was not his role, right? And the end of his life was pretty awful. He became um, a leper. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think he was like basically homeless, kind of on the streets and, and whatnot. But but the point being, the point I wanted to make here is he uh, in Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen reads, but when he was strong with his heart and was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord by God by enter by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So he was not a priest; he was a king. And point being, in in ancient Israel, there was still some division between the role of government being the king and the role of the church being the priesthood. Yeah. So we saw that again. Both of those things are fulfilled in Christ, but he blurred those lines, and his life was basically ruined from that point on. Well, I think of Amos seven. Um, I preach on the book of Amos a while back, but uh, you have Amos going up against um, a priest. I can't remember his name. Amaziah. So Amaziah is from a false priesthood to begin with. And what happens when you have the northern kingdom split from the southern kingdom, right? So who holds the legitimate kingdom then? Right? It's the kingdom of Judah. So the, the northern kingdom splits off. The ten tribes go north. They institute their own priesthood because they can no longer go to the temple to offer sacrifices. And this guy, Amaziah, is part of this false priesthood. He ends up having just kind of this head-to-head with Amos in chapter 7, where, I mean, Amos stands before him and um, basically tells him that judgment's going to come his way simply because he is um, he's a false priest. He says, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. And then he just doubles down because Amaziah is upset for one Amos is speaking of judgment against Israel. He just doubles down here. He goes, moreover, Israel is still going to go into judgment. <laughs> so the, the the whole thing I love about that passage, though, is you have a false kingdom under false kings with a false priesthood. And every bit of it was set up because of the split that happens where they're now trying to scramble and usurping priestly service in a way that they're trying to still um, interfere with a, a sphere that doesn't really belong to them at that point. Yeah. 
You never see yeah. that passage monogrammed on one of those hanging towel things in the Christian bookstore. <laughs> yeah. Your wife will become a harlot. Does not sell well on dish towels. <laughs> Here's a nice tea towel set. Congratulations on your new home. <laughs> Well, so let, let's move on to the fourth point, because I think Blake's getting antsy, because he's ready no, for the no. end here. So let's keep keep moving. <laughs> no. So, so point number four here. So we've talked about what the government is, where does it get, what it does, what's the government authority, where does it come from? We've defined a little bit more about this, the the separation of church and state, as, as we understand it from a biblical perspective. And, and now let's talk about the importance of submission of the government, right? Because I do think, you know, if we if we go back and think about that Romans 13 text, it is an idealized situation, but it's certainly not the only uh, time we have in, instance we have in Scripture where uh, submission to government is is demonstrated or or explained. Right? I mean, Jesus says when they when they they approach Jesus, you know, and he says, pay, uh, "Render unto Caesar, unto Caesar." Right? They ask him about taxes and stuff, and he's basically saying, "You should submit to the government. Like you should do that." And I think I think it is important before we talk about when we can and should, and I'll clarify when we can and should disobey, because there are absolutely times. But there are also uh, important important times, and maybe the bulk of the time, when Christians should be known for submission, right? I, I think that's the spirit that we should be known for. That should be the default, well, right? The that should be the rule, especially not the if exception. we recognize that all authority stems from God and. I mean, let me just put it this way. Blake, I mean, you're a pastor. Mm -hmm. Do you want your church known as a rebellious people or a peaceable people? Humble, loving, charitable. Yep. It's pretty straightforward. Gracious, merciful. All those things, yeah. Meek, all the uh, fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, When we look at that in regard to just how we should function in society, I think we should be, I mean... I think of even the pastoral epistles where uh, qualifications of an elder, he is to be well thought of by outsiders. I mean, part of that would include even your governing authorities. Um, there's an aspect to that. Now, that doesn't unanimously go across the board with everything, as we'll get to in a little bit here. But my rambling point is just trying to get to the idea of saying we should be well thought of within our society. Um, yeah. Our desire, yeah, our desire should be to live peaceably among men as much as yep. it depends on us. Well, it's first or second Timothy again, right? He talks about this idea of um, praying for those who are in authority so that there might be peace in the land specifically. Mm-hmm. So the gospel might go forth. Um, yeah. Great point. And I think that's a contrast. If we think, think about just in a worldview worldview sense, if we step back and compare the Christian worldview to yeah. the secular worldview, that's a big distinction, and it was a big distinction between Christians and ancient Rome, right? Um, if you think about the the Jews were, con- I mean, they were looking for a king to come in and overthrow the Roman government, right? Like yeah. they wanted a warrior king, right? They wanted to to rebel yeah, and they fight wanted to and fast forward to the end. And of the book. G- yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they did. Yes, they wanted the yeah they wanted to skip. You know, to the, I have so much sympathy for them. So, like, reading the Old Testament, and you, you'll get into, like, Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, all, all the way through even 11, you literally find messianic prophecy for his first coming embedded into his second coming 
verse by verse. And I'm like, man, yeah, I probably would have been that zealot that's just like, let's burn them all. And then I would have been rebuked <laughs> by Christ. He's like, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> so there we've Sorry, got I... our uh, little sound bite <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> burn them all. Just... <laughs> Who are these guys? What are they saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah uh, for legal purposes that is a joke yeah it reminds me it, re- it that though i mean this is a small rabbit trail but that does remind me that you just don't know and something i have to constantly remind myself of is you just don't know what god's plan is you know i yeah. think about when they're walking outside of samaria and the sons of thunder say just call fire down like call fire down and you know, destroy these guys. Uh, and the Lord's like, essentially tells them, cool it. And, uh, and then they end up having a ministry in Samaria to the very people that they were, you know, and seeing conversions, the very people that just a little while before they're saying, Hey, call, let's call fire down on these guys and, and toast them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It is incredible. It's an incredible contrast, but, but that's the point, right? That is, we we should be the those speakers of peace and and that christian worldview of submission is very contrasted to the rest of the world and i th- and i think it's important to recognize so um and uh just if it's not obvious if you are um needlessly and unjustly disobedient to the government and i'll add not just your Joe Biden and, you know, your local governments, your library, your teacher, your parents, whatever authority God has put in your, in your life, um, the, your, your call should be to submission to that, right? And to honor that and trust that, um, as much as, as much as it is, well, as much as it, Blake threw me off there because he made a little face. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 like no. I, no. I think, <laughs> again, I think, <laughs> I think the <laughs> distinction of realms yes, is, really imp- is, is really important. Uh, so I'm not even comfortable. Yeah, so it's, yeah. that's why I say just. I'm, I'm even. Uh, I say just. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll say if yeah. it's a just authority and it's in the right place and doing it, like, yes, right. you should submit. Now, to Blake's point, and we'll talk about this, is this idea of spheres, which is really important because there is um, a lot, I would say today, in our day and age, a lot of governments operating outside their respective well, we need spheres. Well, we need to keep in mind that God is, is wise, and what he has established uh, in, and I, I don't know, maybe even some of our listeners wouldn't agree with this, and maybe you guys don't. It, like, I, I, we look at it in the in the view of like the three primary realms of authority being the church, the government and the family. Mm -hmm. And that those three areas have specific duties that ultimately result or should result in honoring God, uh, seeing people come to know Christ and uh, preserving order uh, as best as can be preserved in a fallen world. And so, you know, I, I, I am full on with, um, what you're saying is there's no, like the Christian attitude should not be to be needlessly rebellious. Yeah. Uh, it should I mean, be the last yes. thing we want to have happen. Right. Right. And I think, and there's, and there's lots of, um, 
there's lots of things that I think if you're going to rebel against the government uh, in, in in an area, you better have strong uh, biblical backing for the reason that you're doing that. Okay. Yep. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that a Christian can say like, you know, hey, it's stupid that I can only drive 20 miles an hour through a school zone. I'm going to drive 50 instead, you know, uh, because I, because I'm, you know, I'm free and I'm, I'm my own man and I can do whatever I want to do or whatever like that. That's a needless rebellion. Uh, that is, that is foolish. Um, was that young Blake coming out? Was that like, no, a auto, no, autobiographical? Really. I mean, I, I would say, I would say if anything, <laughs> I would say if anything, uh, the last few years, uh, has taught me, one that's very, very important to understand how your government, how your government functions and what it's supposed to be doing and what it's not supposed to be doing. And if you know that, then it helps you know what areas, uh, what areas call for obedience and what areas uh, call for, you know, standing against tyranny, which we've had lots of opportunity to do uh, over the last couple of years, specifically in, you know, 2020. I think, I think that's the thing that's probably readily on our minds when we're talking about this is our minds are thrown back to the, the events that transpired, uh, in 2020 and 2021. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's get there. Let's talk about that. So kind of our last point here, and we can begin to wrap this up is, uh, Blake, (laughs) when, (laughs) When can and when should we disobey government authorities? The first no-brainer is in any realm of authority, whether it be the state, the church, or the family, if someone is demanding that you do something that is contrary to God's word, so telling you to do something that God has forbade, or telling you you cannot do something that God has told you to do, then... That is a right rebellion. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Acts 5. We got it jotted down here, but it's worth reading. And uh, Acts 5, 28 and 29. And when they had brought them in, they sat them before the council and the high priest questioned them, being the the apostles, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in, in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man, because the great commission by which they were given to Jesus superseded whatever laws or anything these guys could do. It Like they were going right. to preach the gospel no right. matter what, because that was right. the authority from God right. or the charge. I always think of um, Daniel. <laughs> uh, I love Daniel literally because of this. So you have a whole crowd of people that would say, um, you know, you shouldn't do this in any kind of an obnoxious way. But Daniel's forbidden. You know, everybody, all the Jews are forbidden to pray. And Daniel literally just goes to his window, opens them wide. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, time to pray. <laughs> I'm praying so, now. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a great text. Yeah. Yeah. Super easy. I mean, yeah, well, it's super easy. E- but it became complicated over this last thing with the pandemic because of church closures. Right. So I was going to say. It's easy. It's easy in the like, well, if the government tells you to, you know, 
stab somebody or whatever. I mean, whatever weird outlandish thing you could come up with, you'd be like, no, we're not going to do that. Like that's an easy one. Uh, specifically on like things that God has forbidden. It's not as easy, at least in application, we saw the last couple of years when it comes to, okay, you've got this realm of authority of worship, for example, mm-hmm. and there's specific things that God has told us to do in God's word. In fact, you can listen to our episode on that. Uh, what has God told us to do? What makes you know worship specifically as it pertains to the local gathering? So now you have the government telling you, you cannot... And this is, again, depending on your area. So I'm from Oregon, uh, very liberal, uh, the state, not me. Um, the, uh, <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, two on the podcast Everything now. I'm saying is in theory. No, uh, <laughs> no, the, uh, you know, it's, it's um, you know, so we had the whole, you know, full thing. I mean, we were like one of the last ones to, to lift masks, one of the last ones uh, to allow you know, quote unquote, allow, you know, church gatherings. We had the, you know, limitations of people. Uh, We had the uh, governor encouraging citizens to report uh, churches and other um, uh, nonprofits that are gathering, you know, illegally and, you know, things like that. And so you, you, we brought, we reached this spot where it's like, okay, so do we obey God and gather or do we obey man and not gather. Now, the crazy thing is, is because now you've got this sickness kind of involved in it. And we saw, uh, and we've had the, and you guys and myself and others have had these conversations of, then there were Christians that were saying, complicating the matter by saying, well, if you love your neighbor, you're going to, you're going to cancel church. And if you don't cancel church, you don't love your neighbor, you know? Because uh, you're not concerned for their health or their well-being or anything like that, and so that complicated things even even more. So, when it came to those realms, uh, or when it comes to those realms of Caesar forbidding you to do something that God has told you to do, uh, that is a legitimate time. The conclusion that I landed on. Uh, was that that is a legitimate time to rebel, specifically in light of the hypocrisy of the state uh, in my area. Again, this may be different for your area, uh, that they were limiting churches when they could meet and the numbers of people that could gather and all that, but they were not limiting, going after, or even talking about the Black Lives Matter protests that were taking place in Portland. Uh, they were not seeking to control group size uh, at any of those events that were taking place as they were literally tearing apart, uh, you know, Portland. And I live south of Portland, so. I, I think that was one of the most situationally wonderful things that could have happened during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, the whole, the summer of riots, if you will. I mean, mm-hmm. it literally shattered the narrative. Yeah, and it showed that... the hypocrisy. It showed the hypocrisy of of what was going on now you get into this is where you get into the uh whole you know higher magistrates lesser magistrates thing also so my argument would be that our primary ruling document our government if you will is based on the constitution which was written specifically knowing that any man is 
has within himself the capacity to be a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, our forefathers, whether they were deists or Unitarians or Christians or whatever, and you go on and on about those things, they're coming off of this long experience with tyranny. Uh, and so they've got this understanding of we need a document essentially of what are our inalienable rights. Like what are the things that God has given us? And so, for example, we have the light, uh, the right to life. Uh, that the things that you know, the things that we need to live, uh, we have the right to those things. Um, the further we've moved away from that, and I've mentioned this a couple times already. You sly dog, you've got me monologuing. Uh, I've, and I mentioned this a couple times already, is the further we move away from God, the more the state picks up uh, perversely God's role. And they start reaching their hands into these other areas. And so they reach into the family. They reach into the church. Uh, and pretty soon you've got the government controlling different areas that it has no right and authority to do and it's doing it badly on top yeah. of that yeah yeah and blake let me let me no, interject no, here no, to just say no, what no, blake no, is no, describing no. if you're not it's the blake <laughs> what, what blake is talking about here it it might be new to some of the listeners but it's this idea of and, and we'll recommend a book here because it's the best i've read on describing what this is, but that Anthony Forsyth book, Caesar and the Church. And what he's describing here is this reality that when God has placed entities of authority in place, they're given authority within a, a, a specific sphere, right? So, for example, like you just mentioned, the church, or sorry, the state reaching into the church. That's not, the as we defined earlier, the separation yeah. of the sword and the keys, it is, right? They're, it is they're, not the role separation of the government here. to say it is, when you can meet, where you can meet. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And you say, well, the government says they can do that. They can't because God's authority supersedes it. And God's authority says this is the, ro- this is the role of the government. The government can't define its own role. Yeah. And that's critical here because people think that, well, I should obey the government because the government does this. The government can right. say whatever they want. At the end of the day, God is defined, God created governments, God establishes rulers, God establishes kings, and he defines where they go, what they can do, and what a government is for. Yeah, and even if you want to even if you want to look at it in the terms of scripture, I mean, there is a very limited amount of power that the government actually has. And I think that's one of the things that many people lost sight of is they I think part of it is we We've been so inundated with it in our culture where the government has over decades of time just slowly grabbed more and more power yeah. where our generation think, is just used to that. I think I read uh, somewhere, it might have been in Slaying Leviathan, uh, that you've got the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So really a, a handful of pages uh, that were the like, okay, these are the, the things that we need to govern off of. And that to date... Uh, I think on federal law, it was something like 70,000 uh, particular federal laws. Uh, and then there was a really uh, brilliant article uh, that had come out a while ago that was something that, something along the lines of uh, the average citizen commits three felonies a day or something and doesn't even it doesn't even know it you know because the books are because because there's so many things and that's just an example of, 
uh, the reaching hand, like the government will never say, especially an ungodly government will never say like, we have enough power. We have enough authority. We're going to stop right there. I mean, it's just, it's an ever encroaching thing. And then as they say, power, you know, in position once lost is very, very hard to regain. And my fear is, is that a lot of churches in the United States in 2020 gave so much ground that when the next thing comes along, whatever the thing is that that happens, uh, it's going to be that much easier uh, for people to take a little step further and give the government a little more authority, a little more leeway yeah. in what's going on. And there's proper, you know, and there's, there's proper rebellion. I mean, I, and we should talk about that. Like, what does what does proper rebellion look like for the Christian? It's easy, you know. There's some guy out there with his in camo. Yeah. So there, yes. Like, how are you gonna? I'm gonna yeah, go disparage. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's actually. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm literally wearing. I'm literally wearing camo shorts right now. <laughs> I don't have my normal. No, my normal Oregonian getup is a uh, camo shorts and a tie dye T-shirt, but I don't have them. I don't have my tie dye on today. Um, proper rebellion. So pro- proper, rebellion. yeah, proper so rebellion. There will be some people uh, historically uh, will that will look at history and they'll probably disagree with this. I lean more toward uh, the lesser and higher magistrates. Kind of thing. So if you have a if you have a high up magistrate that is uh, acting tyrannical, it's not for you as the individual citizen to take matters into your own hands. Okay, my case in context of our governor saying we want you to turn churches in who are meeting. Our sheriff, uh, who is a lesser magistrate than the government, but still above you know us as uh, common citizens. Uh, basically released a uh, thing, a a uh, report that was like, don't call us for that. Like, if you call us for that, we're going to laugh at you. And we're not, like, we're not going to be, you know, busting into churches. We're not breaking up groups. We're not doing anything like that. So don't even bother calling us and reporting it, you know. Uh, which had some people really up in arms. I but, mean, that's a good sheriff. Right, right. So so our magistrate above us uh, said, no, we're not going to do that, which then everybody, you know, most everybody, at least in my area, um, could, you know, kind of kind of jive along with. Um, it's important to remember. Um, maybe it's not important to remember. Because <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> The yes. Titans. <laughs> Always remember the Titans. Yes. Oh yes. boy. That was that one. Uh, you guys can't make sports analogies. I don't. I mean, I yeah. know them loosely, but right. <laughs> I'm like sports ball. <laughs> I've just uh, heard. Yeah, I've heard of the Titans. Is this like? Is that the sequel to Clash of the Titans? This is like Attack on Titan, like the anime. <laughs> now you've lost me. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So okay. Oh, there was the other thing. So, um, what, what sets the United States apart in, in one degree, uh, with our constitution is we have built into our constitution, the right to rebel against the government. And that's in the second amendment. Yeah. The well-armed militia is put into place 
because our forefathers knew exactly what a tyrannical government looks like and how they operate. That is put into place, and we have built into our government the legal right to rebel against the government. Would you hang on? Let me let me just ask you. Would you say that that is a Christian's duty or an American? Like where where is that sphere of? Yeah, trying to figure yeah. out how to phrase a question. Does the I'm. I don't think there's a divide. If you're would the Christian? Citizen. Are you saying can the Christian take up arms against the government? Yes. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Is is that is that the role of the Christian? I would say biblically that the. I would say that the the, the Christian is within the legal right to justly take up arms according to the constitution against tyranny if it is deemed appropriate. Yeah, that's the, not that's really. the tough part. Though. I mean, put it no. in this put it in put it in this no, context. No, I mean, what put it in this appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like appropriate because hang on, hang on because I think this is important. The appropriate part that there could be a thousand thousand different viewpoints on that on when it is deemed appropriate sure. to those If measures. you look at history though, if you look at history and how wars start, they never, there's never one linchpin moment. I mean, there's in the books, there's a linchpin moment. But when you look at something like World War One, I, I mean, people will peg the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand for the start of that war. But it was going on decades before that. I mean, yeah, sure. All of these different little pockets and stuff like that. There was several things that led up to that point. That was just essentially the, uh, uh, the match that lit the powder keg, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. That, and I think in, in many ways that's how we, or that, that's at least how I look at things in in our country right now, right? There's there's been all sorts of different things for years going on. Um, I would not be shocked to find that powder keg is lit at some point, and we might not even be aware of when that happens. What might just simply happen is well, we're now thrust in the middle of something that all of a sudden is just very real. Yeah. I think, and I think too. I think the objection to that is a wide, uh, is a wildly American concept because historically, there has not been an issue for Christians uh, to take up arms when it's appropriate. I mean, even it's like ju- just war theory. Though not every just war has been a just war. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I have to think about this. I I think I ninety percent agree with you. But I'm not sure I completely do. I something I'll have to think about. It's it's tough. It's admittedly tough. I can't say I can't say that there's a certain like that there's a specific moment of clarity. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard. Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying though, Jack. Like it's it's hard to when you look at, for example, uh, when you look at like abortion, for example. Uh, one of the things that I, you know, wrestle with is okay. So you have. Uh, a government, at least, well, still, still, even with the even with the uh, Roe v. Wade thing being overturned, you have a government that supports uh, the murder of children, uh, and so you start naturally then asking questions like, well, what is what is the right recourse to that? Because if the government was coming to our town and saying we're going to kill all the children uh, in in your town your reaction to that would be i would assume uh to take up arms and to defend 
to defend the children. And so, you know, maybe it's in, maybe it's inconsistency. Maybe it's, maybe there's, you know, some difference there because it's not the government specifically killing the children, but they're sanctioning the killing of children uh, and things like that. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I do see what you're saying in the difficulty of actually applying that, and maybe it's a and maybe it's a cop out, but uh, it does feel like one of those you'll know you'll know it when it's there. <laughs> yeah, I, I get where you're coming from too. There's there's just natural implications to all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not a a clean one size fits all scenario, and I think we especially like to think like that today, where you know if you meet criteria A, B, and C, therefore you can now do E, F, and G, and it's like that's just not how life often works for one, but especially when you come to things like this, for the for the guy who's giddy at the prospect of things like this, um, I actually have a lot of fear for that person because I don't think they quite get the realistic nature of just how ugly war is. I mean, it's just nasty. And when, when things started to happen with um, Rittenhouse, I mean, I live in Kenosha, just for people that don't know, so Kyle Rittenhouse was literally... Um, less than five miles from my home. Jacob Blake got shot less than two blocks from my home. Um, that These were questions I was asking at that point. Like, do I do I stand up with my own, you know, arsenal, if you will, to, for one, protecting my family, that was not even a question, but my own town, uh, my neighbors, all that kind of stuff started to go through my brain. But people were all giddy for the prospect of bloodshed online. I was watching it left and right. And yet, you know, you're not the one sitting there watching businesses get burned down and people getting their forearms blown off. It's like it's not a yeah. It's not a funny thing. It's not a light thing. And when you have a bullet rip through somebody's skin, it's nasty. Right. Uh, and we should say too that that's like taking up arms is the extreme end. Yes. Like there's there is a there is a standing against tyranny that obviously is much lesser than that. So the church with the government telling you, for example, your church can't meet uh, a lesser mode is, well, we're going to meet anyway. Like that's, we're just, yeah, we're just going to meet and we're going to do the things that, you know, we're, you know, supposed to do. Um, and then that, you know, right. that, that's applied so many, so many areas that it's not always, you know, and again, maybe that's my American mind that I run immediately to the guns a blazing, um, you know, scenarios. Oh, but there's, I mean, the there's thousands end. upon thousands, yeah, of of lesser, uh, you know, standing against tyranny, and that comes in the mode of again peaceful, uh, uh, peaceful Assembly, protest, yeah. uh, peaceful assemblies, uh, contacting your lesser magistrates and voicing uh, your you know, your concerns and your opinions. I mean, I don't know. Are people still writing yeah. senators and writing the sheriff and doing things like that? Like you should be doing that. Yeah. yeah. If you should be you getting have... out and voting. Right. Yeah. Right. And not in, yeah, exactly. Getting out and voting. And um, there's more that you can do than just gripe about it on Facebook or Twitter, you know, <laughs> like things that you should be doing. Um, yeah, but how else do I keep spinning the perpetual outrage machine if I don't comment on social media? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it just keeps on spinning. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to go back and emphasize point four here. Because, um, Blake, you're exactly right. There's a, a million, a myriad of ways, I should say, that we can protest 
in in ways that yeah, are and I, and you just. see that in the Bible too. I think that's important to bring out because yep. again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, you know, when it's when the trumpet, the music plays, and they're supposed to worship. I mean, they're not like, okay, boys, it's go time to pull their swords out and start, you know, going after. <laughs> I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're willing, um, you know, to be killed. Well, you know, yeah, you John know, John the, the Baptist, right? I mean, he's right. preaching against uh, Herod's right. um, infidelity, and he gets his head chopped off for it. I mean, how many times do we think of civil disobedience on that end of things, where, right? You know, we're all gung ho as Americans to go and lop off somebody else's head, but. Perhaps it's your head that might come as a result of this. Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I too put a piece of personal distinction uh, between um, fighting for my own rights versus fighting for the rights of others too. Yeah. Um, because I, and I think a lot of guys, a lot of Christians, uh, deal with this kind of thing of, of the use of force, even in self-defense, uh, to protect yourself versus protecting your family for example um is right is much different i think uh so those stuff you have to that's things yeah. you have to you know wrestle with as well well maybe we can begin to wrap things up here because we have gone a little longer than usual for good reason but um i want to encourage people to because this is hard it's something you should prayerfully really think about um like study, pray about it, but recognize a few key points uh, and kind of summarize those. Whatever authority is there is because God put it there. And as a Christian, our allegiance is yeah. to God first Absolutely. and foremost. Like Christ is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And that is, that is the ultimate law. The, you know, that, that is it. And so we need to begin there. The other main thing is that we should pursue peace. Christians should be known as people of, of peace and submission. Um, and, but we should also, to, to clarify, and this is something I've learned as I've studied this more, and this is a quote out of Forsyth's book uh, that I think is good, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't stop assessing with you know, the government, is this sinful? Like that, when the government says something, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have a, just a single point of assessment. Is this sinful or is it not? And then go from there. But we should consider... Has God granted authority to this person or organization? Yeah. Like there, sh we should we should think further, and as God words compels us to, like we need to move beyond just basic and think about the whole of Scripture and what's being taught here. So, um, but that's stuff to prayerfully consider because I do think um, we've as a as a as an evangelical American body we've we've gone accustomed to statism, like yep. we're just okay with it. For for many of us, no, not like no, no, um, no, and, I, and all like I will say, <laughs> I I will say that my views on this stuff has wildly changed in the last two years because I never had to because I never really had to think about it, and I say that maybe to my own to my own shame, but uh, just in the neutral, yeah, just in the neutral spot of well, the government kind of does their thing, and we kind of do our thing, and the government would never. You know, surely our government would never, you know, and, and so you start thinking about things like that. And it was kind of all of everything that happened was kind of just a, a, a bucket of cold water in my face where I started pursuing, okay, what has been the historical Christian view of God and government? What has been, you know, what's the, the biblical stance? What are the different stances? What does rebellion uh, look like? When is it appropriate? What is tyranny? What are the things that God has given us? 
uh, that are inalienable. I can never say that word correctly. There it is. That inalienable. That word. What are the emo rights that God has given us? And uh, no, uh, you know, and so you start thinking through those things and then you just come to, you know, kind of. Yeah. Well, it's been a journey for me, too. And, and I and I wonder because I live in Oklahoma, which is the opposite of Portland. I put the extreme opposite of of, of Oregon, I should yeah. say. I said Portland, but I should say Oregon kind Portland of as a whole. controls Oregon. See, that's one of the big frustrations yeah. is that the vote. Yeah. If you look at, like, the voting map, we have, like, three little blue sections. But the problem is that's where, the you know, the major cities are. Yeah. That's where the power is, yeah. Well, but anyway, to kind of go back to what I was saying, we, as I would encourage if you're listening to this, uh, Caesar in the Church by Anthony Forsyth is a great book. It's very readable, um, not long, very readable. And I think it would really help if this is kind of a new concept to you, this idea of spheres of authority and what that means. It's a very, very good book. Um, it was helpful for me to draw a lot of clarity there. But this idea, again, it's not, is it just sinful or not? We have to move beyond that and asked, has God assigned uh, or granted authority to this person or organization? And then prayerfully consider, discuss with your elders what biblical rebellion looks like, because there are so many, so many ways that I think, think that can, can show itself. And we mentioned a few of them, right? But those, but those are it. But I, I will say, and maybe in closing, um, I do think as a church, this tension between church and state is going to continue to get uh, tighter yes. and tighter, you know, more tensions yes. as time that's goes on. Very, hey, like, Jack, that's not very post-mill of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, How much more time do we one have? One of the no, things no. that was interesting to me, I mean, so right we're, this one's largely on, on government. So talking about the government sphere of authority, um, the church was interesting to me because you watch many elders, I think, step outside of their own sphere of authority. Mm. And how they were implementing things in the church that they didn't necessarily have a right to implement either. Ooh, that's a as hot elders, take. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a hot take. It is a hot. Yeah. Take. Are we really are we asking though? The real question of we know what the church brings to the state, but what does the state bring to the church? <laughs> Tim Keller. It's a Tim Keller. Riff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh we did it. 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 Can we do, can we, before we close, can we do some recommend, uh, reading recommendations? Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. Jack, you put forth Caesar in the Church by Anthony Forsyth. Uh, excellent book. Have it, read it. I even have a signed copy, which is, oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know who Anthony Forsyth was. Um, did you say Anthony Swordfish? <laughs> That's what I yeah. heard. That's his I don't pen. even know who this guy is. I yeah. I hope he I'm doesn't like, listen to this. Swordfish? I don't know. Um, <laughs> this poor guy. Like, if he picks up this podcast. No, but I don't even know who. I didn't even know who calls. he was. And I walked by his book table. And he was like uh, the classic uh, guy with the trench coat selling the watches. Like, hey, kid, you want a book? I'm like, absolutely, I do. And so I bought it off of him. And he was like, yeah, this is actually my book. I was like, really? You wrote it? And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, I'll have you sign it. And so I'm like, Anthony Swordfish. All right, I'll read it. But no, it's a great book. It is a great book. It is a, uh, it's a, it's a pretty light read, 145 pages. 
uh, pretty big t uh, big print. You could knock it out in a afternoon evening, uh, probably. Uh, the uh, Slaying Leviathan, Limited Government and Resistance in the Christian Tradition, uh, is a historical look uh, on some of the things that we've talked about. That's by Glenn Sunshine. Um, the that is a Canon Press book, so some that of you might be uh, some of you might be turned off by that, but it's a great book. I would I would I would read it. Uh, and I did read it. Uh, Rex Lex by Samuel Rutherford is a classic on uh, the ruling law and also uh, spheres of authority. And then the uh, 1579 classic uh, Vindicae Contra Tyrannos, A Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants uh, by Junius Brutus uh, is another. Uh, and that book was, yeah, that and Rex Lex both were influential to our own found uh, our own founding fathers. Um, that one deals more. There's some really good concepts in it, I would say, but uh, it's applied more to the king, uh, like an actual uh, monarch, which we don't have. Uh, but there are still some really really great principles in there. I would suggest uh, that one as well. Yeah, one I would suggest on top of that is. Um... Daryl Bernard Harrison and Virgil Walker did one called Just Thinking on the State. And if you read any of the other ones, I mean, you'll get much of the same in this one. Um, but it, I found it a, a helpful read as well. I've got one one more I'll, I'll do. Yo, I got it. I knew it. I knew it. You stole my line. <laughs> ah, I saw that man. devious smile, Jack. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my thunder. Man. So... All right. Well, anyway, so yeah, I think this, this is a long podcast, so yeah. hopefully people are still with us, but, but it's good content. And, and I mean, I'd really, I guess kind of as, as closing thoughts, I'd encourage you to pick up some of these books, read through it, pray about it, talk to your elders, because if you are a Christian in the United States, this tension between uh, the church and the state, the roles, the divisions and government overreach, it's not going away. Exactly. And and the best time to do that is now. Like, don't wait until you're, yeah, don't wait until you're waist deep in, you know, whatever. And then going on. So I would just say for my closing statement, love God first and foremost, love others as yourself, live peacefully among all men as much as it pertains to you. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. My, girl, my girls have been Amen. seeing that all day today, so it's a constant background in my head, <laughs> That's sweet. including the part about the government. So I'm training them oh, rightly, yeah. trying to. Yeah, Grayson. Grayson, no, do you have I any mean, uh, no real closing thoughts? Major wisdom to offer at the end here. I think you guys summed it up pretty well. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening, and until next time, this has been the Chorus and the Chaos. And thank you for listening, FBI agent. <laughs> <laughs>